to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Gospel of John, chapter 4. When I was um, when I was three or three three or four years old, uh, my parents and I, and my sister, lived with my my great grandmother in her old country house, and we lived there with her until she passed away. And the funny thing is that I still can remember things about her, even though I was three or four. I remember her letting me play in the pots and pans in the kitchen. I remember her let, taking me out to to the chicken pen and her getting the eggs out and and, and I also remember her having an old well in the backyard of her house. Now, I don't know if we still use that well, but me and my sister, we used to play in it. We used to throw rocks down in the well. We used to send the bucket down and put it back up. And, and everyone who lived on the old country road had a well in the back of their yard. And for, for that generation, that well provided them water, which is important because we need water to survive. And in fact, water symbolizes life. It symbolizes rebirth. It's a necessity. And so in, in a figurative type of way, there are wells in the backyard of our life. Each of us have wells in the backyard of our life. Each holding water that we draw from. Water that we think is necessary. And we draw from them constantly. Because we want the water in those wells to give us life, to give us purpose, to give us happiness, to give us peace, significance, security, value, identity, and self-worth. And so we draw from them daily, but we are never fully satisfied. Our thirst is never fully satisfied. And so, so you can move from well to well trying to clench the deep, deep thirst of your heart and soul. You're like a paintball bouncing back and forth. You're a well hopper is what you are. And from all your hopping and all your bouncing, tell me, are you satisfied yet? Are you satisfied? Have you truly found your happy place? Now, you're not the only whale hopper in the room. Can we just be real? We all hop. I hop, you hop. We all do. And there's even a person in the Bible who knows a little bit about whale hopping. It's a woman. She knows what it's like to play any, many, many more with the whales in our backyard, trying to find the one or two that's going to actually make you happy. Trying to find that one whale that holds the water to all your security, to all your peace, to all your significance, to all your happiness. She will hop until she met a man to, who broke her chains to set her free. She met the man at the well. Have you met the man at the well? Do you want to meet him? Do you want your chains broken this morning? If so, then please join me in prayer. Father God, as we come to the preaching of your truth, we know that this is not the opinion of man. The Bible is just not any other book. It is the very word of God. 
your word, your truth that has been around for centuries and it will continue to be around until Jesus returns. The good book is the good book because of you, because of who you are. And so, Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word, you will be glorified and lifted up and that your spirit will come and minister to the hearts of everyone that is here. We all need a word from you. We all need Jesus. Even if you don't think we need him, we still need him. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will come and minister to us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In the movie The Wizard of Oz, uh, Dorothy and her dog Toto got caught in a tornado storm that lands them in the magical land of Oz. And as she says, you know, we're no longer in Kansas. So she's stuck and lost in this land with no possible way of getting home until she learns about a man. A man who maybe has the power to get her home. It's the great wizard. So she travels the yellow brick road to the city to meet this great wizard. And see, for Dorothy, it was part of her plan to meet the wizard. It was on her agenda to meet the wizard. It was, she expected to meet the wizard. But the opposite is true of the woman in John 4. She's lost. She's stuck. The only difference is that she didn't plan to meet the man at the well. It wasn't on her agenda. It wasn't on her to-do list. From her point of view, meeting the man at the well was unexpected. In fact, the man at the well travels to where the woman lives. She didn't travel to him. He travels to her. You see, right now, he's at a place called Judah doing ministry. But he has plans to, to, to travel to Galilee. And Galilee is about 45, 45 to 50 miles away from where he is now. So he journeys there. He walks there. Verse 5 says, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through there. Now, going through Samaria, that was the shortest route and the typical route that travelers took to get to Galilee. But I wanted to note, focus on the words, he had to pass through there. The Greek verb, verb that's translated had to can also be translated, it is necessary. It, it is necessary. And so the, the verb denotes any sort of necessity. So it was necessary for the man to pass through Samaritan. Why? Was it because it was the shortest route or because for some other reason? It's some other reason. No, it's someone else has a reason for him to go through there. See, this verb can also denotes anything that God ordains as well. When God does something, this verb is used to denote what he establishes as a necessity for the counsel of his will. And so that's the function of it, is this verb here. It's, a, it's necessary for the man to travel through Samaria because God has ordained it so. It's part of his will for the man to go through this city. And so the meeting of the woman and the man at the well is not by fate. It's not an accident. It's a plan, a divine appointment put in place by a God who is both sovereign and providential in his creation. And the same is true in your life. The same divine appointment that brought you to this church this morning. You're not here just because your family invited you. You're here by divine appointment. And you're going to meet 
the man at the well, even though you were never looking for him. He travels to where you are, just like he's traveling to where the woman is. And so as he walks towards Galilee, he continues, and soon he arrives in Samaria to a town called Sakar, a town that is located near the field of Jacob. And Jacob's well is there also. So when a man finally gets well, he's tired. Remember, he's walked a long way. And so he's tired and weary. And if you're walking over 20 miles, I mean, you'll be tired too, right? And so he does the only logical thing. He sits down beside the well to rest. The text said it's the sixth hour, and that is noontime. And noontime isn't cool time. It's hot. South Georgia hot. <laughs> so the man is walking in the heat, and he's fatigued, and he's thirsty. And so what's the point of all this information? Why is that important? It stresses the humanity of the man at the well. It lets you know that the man at the well is human, just like you, just like the woman. But who is this tired man? Who is this man to well? Many of you know John 4. You have heard sermons on John 4 before. It's often called a woman at the well. But what makes John 4 wonderful and powerful and beautiful is the man at the well. If he was any other man, John 4 had a whole different look. The man at the well makes a difference. This thirsty, tired, weary man. And his name is a name that's above every name. It's Jesus. And he arrives at the well long before the woman gets there. And so as she leaves for the well, the text says, a Samaritan woman comes to the well to draw water. Comes to the well to draw water. So it tells us something about her, her ethnic identity. She's a Samaritan. I mean, she's biracial. She's partly Jewish and partly Gentile. And her only plan that day is to go to the well to get water, and go home. She's not expecting to meet Jesus, not expecting to get in this conversation with Jesus. She's clueless to what is getting ready to happen to her. She has no idea that Jesus, the man at the well, is already there waiting on her, but he is. Their meeting is a divine appointment. And so as she gets closer to the well, her vision gets closer, her vision, I'm sorry, as she gets closer to the well, she notices that a person is sitting there. And the closer she gets, the clearer her vision becomes. And she realizes, there's a man there. A man that I've never seen before. So when she gets to the well, she doesn't engage him. Doesn't say, hey, doesn't say anything. Because remember, she's there to get water and go home. She's going about her life, doing her own thing, doing what she wants to do. She's not looking for the man at the well. Then something happens that catches her off guard. The man at the well engages her. And he says, give me a drink. Give me a drink. A simple request. So we see Jesus takes the initiative. He takes the first step. And it catches her completely off guard. It surprises her. She says in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaritan, Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So she knew that he was a Jewish man, but he, she couldn't understand why he is engaging her. Why is he making such a request of her? 
So Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. I mean, you talk about racial tension. They hated each other. There was no love lost between them. There was tension and even hate between them. And no respectful Jewish person would engage a Samaritan, yet alone ask them to give him some water from their well. But Jesus, the man at the well, is different. He humbles himself before her. He crosses over the racial and cultural barrier. He breaks them down. And he disarms the woman in the process. He disarms her. He welcomes her. And it catches her off guard. Now it's important to to consider the time that that she goes to the well. It's the sixth hour, the, the heat of the day. And she travels there alone. And there were no other women with her. She, she maybe indicates she didn't have any relationships. Usually women came to draw water in the morning or in the evening because those times were cooler. But the woman here intentionally comes when no one else would be there. Why? Why? Because she's stuck. Because she's lost. She's a woman with a past. She's a woman struggling with some shame, some guilt. What about you? What shame are you living with? What guilt keeps you up at night? Are you stuck? Are you lost? The Samaritan woman, she's stuck in a cycle of well hopping, laboring hard to try to find that, that one water that's going to satisfy that, the deep thirst of her heart and soul. So she comes to the well tired. She comes to the well weary. She comes to the well thirsty. She's broken and she has issues. She's even an outcast among her own people. And Jesus knows it. You know that, right? He knows this about her. He knows she's a woman with baggage. And yet he doesn't degrade her. He doesn't look down upon her. He embraces her. He identifies with her. He says to her, give me a drink. Simple words, but powerful. Because remember, Jesus is fully human. He knows what it's like to feel tired and weary and thirsty. He knows what it's like to be broken and treated like an outcast. He knows. And the man at the well is gracious to this woman who struggles. A.W. Pink says, Jesus knows all about her, knows her deep need, and he is there to minister to that need. He is there to overcome her prejudices, there to subdue her will, there to invite himself into her heart. This is what the man at the well does, and that is what he does for you. Do you want it? Do you want it? The words, Jesus will meet you where you are, are comforting words, right? Comforting words to rear and broken. Stephen Curtis Chapman even has a song along those lines called, Jesus will meet you there. He says, when you think you hit rock bottom and the bottom gives way, you fall into a darkness no words can explain, and you don't know how you can make it out alive. Jesus will meet you there. Comforting words. But what is, what's more comforting is when you come to see that Jesus doesn't meet you where you are because he's already there waiting on you. He's already there waiting on you. 
He's there before you get there. Just like he's there at the well waiting on the woman before she gets there. She comes to the well broken and Jesus is already there. He's the man at the well. So you come with all your issues, guess what? He's already there. You come with all your brokenness, guess what? He's already there. Already there. You come with all your well hopping, he's already there. All your guilt, he's already there. All your sin, he's already there. Ready to embrace you when you come. To meet the deep need of your soul. But Jesus, he's not going to quench the thirst of your soul by giving you the water in the wells and back your life. No, he offers you a different type of water. He tells the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Now the woman doesn't understand the deeper meaning of this. She doesn't. She takes Jesus literally. Sometimes we don't understand Jesus either. And we misunderstand what he's trying to tell us. Listen to what she says. So you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes. He gave us this well and drunk from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus, again, he's gracious to her in his response. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Do you see what the man at the well is offering? What he's offering to her, what he's offering to you, he's offering you a true thirst clincher, water that will truly satisfy the deep thirst of your whole soul, your thirst for purpose, happiness, peace, significance, security, value, identity, and self-worth can only be satisfied by the man at the well. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? His water, a living water, will clench that thirst. And in the words of Bobby Boucher, the water boy, now that's some high-quality H2O. <laughs> high-quality H2O. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? The Samaritan woman, she wants to drink the water. She says, sir, give me this water that I may drink from it and never come to draw water here again. Again, she misunderstands him. But she claims to want the water. Is it a true thirst for living water? Do you have a true thirst? So he tells the woman, go call your husband and come here. Now that's our request, right? It seems kind of out of place. And I'm sure it catches the woman off guard. How do we go from talking about water to talking about, you know, my husband, my personal life? Because some of us, we're fine with other things. When people start getting personal, that's when things get uncomfortable. Please know the man in the world will get personal. He will go there. He will go there. He has every right to. You see, before Jesus gives this living water, he's going to walk around your backyard. You see what you hiding in your backyard. He's going to go back there. He's going to uncover some things. You can put up a fence, but Jesus is going to get beyond that fence. He's going to see what you got hiding in the backyard. 
He's going to look there. And he's in the woman's backyard now. Go call your husband and come here. The woman says, I have no husband. So I guess the conversation is over, right? Right? Hey, the man, the well ain't no fool. He's no fool. The conversation's not over. He's in full control of what's going on. Because he's found a well that a woman is drinking from. He's found her well. And he says to her, you're right in saying you have no husband. But you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. At that point, what do you do? She's undone. She's exposed. She's been trying to clench the deep thirst of her heart and soul through relationships with men. So she well hopped from man to man, but never satisfying her thirst. So what are you well hopping to? To satisfy you. To find that peace. Your security. Your significance. Your identity. Who's giving it to you? The woman still hasn't found what she's looking for. Please note, she's currently with a man who's not her husband. So she's currently still at this well. And that can, that can be two options. Either she's shacking up with a man or she's having an affair with another woman's husband. It could be it's one of those two things that she's doing. Jesus reveals the woman's sin to her. And it's what he will reveal to you at the well. That's what he's going to uncover in the backyard of your life. And when he uncovers it, what he wants you to do is to own it, admit it, and then bring it to him. Remember what she said, go call your husband and come back to me for your healing. But people often do what she initially does. We change the subject. We deflate attention away from our sin. You know, we, 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 we get found out, then we change the subject, we get spiritual. Well, I used to go to church. Well, I used to do that. I, I used to go to church, but then something happened in church, and I don't go to church anymore. So we change the subject. This is what she does. She get all spiritual. Oh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> what? He just called you out for your sin. All of a sudden, now you, oh, you a prophet. And now all of a sudden, she want to get into this theological debate where you say we worship on this mountain. My people say we worship on this mountain. Trying to divert attention away from what's going on in her own life. And again, Jesus is gracious to her. He doesn't shame her, but he gradually leads her to the place he wants her to be. And he does the same with you. No matter what you do, Jesus will always find a way in. He will always find a way in. You can't outrun him. She says, she finally says to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus, the man that well says, I who speak to you am he. He is telling you all things. He is revealing all things. The man, the world, is not just a human being who can identify with your condition, but he's also the Christ who can redeem you out of it. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? Celebrating the resurrection and believing is two different things. Do you believe it? He doesn't just reveal your sin. He sets you free from it. 
This is what he's offering to the woman. This is what he's offering to you. None of those other wells that you drank from can take away your sin, can take away your shame, can take away your guilt. Success, pride, money, self-righteousness, unhealthy relationships, whatever it may be that you drank from, those things cannot take away your sin. They cannot satisfy the deep need of your soul. Only Jesus can. You're going to always be thirsty until that need is met. You're going to always thirst, always feel lack of fulfillment, never satisfied until Jesus comes and satisfies you. So I'm telling you, will you go to the man at the well to get satisfied? Will you? Jesus wants you to own your sin, admit it, and through repentance, bring it to him. Remember, Jesus doesn't meet you where you are because he's already there. He already died on the cross, people. He was already there. You don't have to get up on the cross with him. There's only one Savior, and it's him. He paid the full price to set you free. From his wounds, you are healed. By his stripes, you are healed. He died in your place. But death could not hold him down, right? It could not. In three days, he resurrected from the tomb. That is why we remember Easter. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. And without the resurrection, the cross accomplishes nothing. They go together. Without the cross, there is no resurrection. And without the resurrection, the cross accomplishes nothing. You need them both. Both are important. And as Paul says in Romans 4, Christ was delivered up for our sins and he was raised for our justification. You need them both. So if you want the deep thirst of your soul meant that you've got to come to the man at the well who died and rose again so that could be true. Only he would do it. You want purpose and happiness? You need to go to Jesus and surrender to him your life, which means you trust him, you rest in him, you depend upon him alone for salvation. And if you have saving faith in Jesus, then you don't leave him. You stay by him, for he's your will. You don't leave him. You don't drink from him one day and then go on about your life. No, you stay, for he is the fountain of all that you're ever going to get. As the hymn said, there's a fountain filled with blood, right? Drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Sinners plunged into that flood. They lose all their guilty stains. That is true the day you come to Christ. That is true as long as you live this, on this earth. He is the fountain. That hymn goes on to say, dear, dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. Meditate on that. His blood that covers you, that has redeemed you, shall never lose its power. And this table will always be a reminder of that truth, that the blood of Christ will never lose its power. It's a reminder that death could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. Could not. It's a reminder that, that the man at the well embraces sinners. It embraces people who have a past. It embraces those who have issues. It embraces those who are broken. 
the man of the well will embrace you if you come. This meal is a reminder that before the throne of God above, you have a perfect high priest. A perfect high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives to plead for you. And so this high priest invites you to this table. Those of you who have saved and faith in Christ, you're welcome to partake of this meal. Now, friends and neighbors, if you don't have faith in Christ and you don't know him and you want to know him, I welcome you to come see me after the service and I will share with you how you can come to faith in Christ. Because I'm telling you, whatever you build in your life on that's not Jesus is sinking sand. It will let you down in the end. It might not be letting you down now, but it will. It will be sinking sand.